Enjoy a tall, cool dude. I grew up like most kids, worried I couldn't bench two plates, that I wouldn't fit in, that I wouldn't find love. Then I discovered partying, and suddenly all those worries went to the wayside. I didn't need love. I had keg stands. I discovered I was great at raging, and it revealed wonderful things about myself. I could relate to bros, regardless of what kind of bro they were. I could be at a party and moon people and everyone would laugh, you know, be witty. Or I could play beer pong and compete with real integrity. In short, I fulfilled my potential. The Nightcap on WGR Sports Radio 550. The first nightcap after the first Bills game. I'm ready to go. What's up? Joe DiBiase here on WGR. I want your calls at 803-0550 over the next couple of hours. little hockey mixed in along the way because training camp is only two days away. Less than two days away. Thursday, the Sabres will be on the ice. And Rasmus Ristolainen is still a Sabre. So I got some thoughts on that, but much later on in the show... With that, we'll hear from Marcel Louis-Jacques, who was on the station a couple of times, actually, today. We'll hear him with Howard and Jeremy uh, in the second hour as our interview of the day. And I want your reaction to Bills and Jets. I know it's been a couple of days. If you heard me on with postgame uh, with Nate Geary and on the overtime show, you might know some of my thoughts on the game. If you read my piece, uh, the Josh Allen Report, week one, on WGR550.com, you might know some of my thoughts there. But if not, here it goes. So... Allen, I think, after week one, it's still split. Now, I thought he had a really good performance. The turnovers are a problem. Yes, you need to clean those up. The turnovers are de- certainly a problem with Josh Allen. And they, they were last year, too. You can't have more interceptions than touch than passing touchdowns. You just can't have that in today's league. Let Aaron Rodgers, I know you, Aaron Rodgers is a very high bar, had... 27 touchdowns and two, count them, two interceptions last year with the Packers. It's not a league anymore where if you're throwing double-digit picks, if you're throwing more than a pick a game, that you can really sustain yourself yourself as an NFL starting quarterback. Allen, the turnovers need to be cleaned up. I don't really think the picks were all his fault, though. When you look back at what they were, yes, it was a little bit low on a throw to Cole Beasley, but if you're Cole Beasley, if I'm paying you that much to play wide receiver and I want you to have sure hands, then you can't be tipping that ball up into the air right into the defender's hands. Batted ball on the other one. All right, you know, little careless with the football. The fumbles, I got no defense for Allen there, but in my piece at WGR550.com, I liked Allen. I like him. I liked what he did in week one consistently moving the ball, consistent lower body mechanics, which led to accuracy, consistent accuracy. All day I thought he was hitting his targets with relative ease. The Bills were moving the ball at will. Allen ends up with 254 rushing yards on the day, 38, or 254 passing yards on the day, and 38 rushing. If those turnovers don't happen, which I know you can't just assume that they wouldn't, but if they don't, he's going way over 300 yards. They were moving the ball at will. And in the first half, a big reason for that was the fact that they were passing the football. 18 snaps in a row to begin the game. The Buffalo Bills threw the football. When is the last time that's happened? It has to have been the K-Gun. It has to have been the 90s. Because this, this 
this team and this offense has not looked modern in that way since the 90s, which is hilarious to think about that you have to go 25 years ago to think about the last time the Bills had a modern offense. And through one week, the Bills showed that, hey, we are capable of playing this way. Now, will they be willing to play that way all season? I hope that they are. I really hope they are. They don't need to throw it 18 times in a row to begin a game, but heavy pass attack. Because if you have a quarterback that allows you to be capable of a heavy pass attack, then you need to take advantage of it, and you need to do it. And the Bills went into MetLife Stadium with that plan. They were going to have an air raid offense in that game. Pass to set up the run, if you will. It all worked. It all worked, and it was because of their philosophy going into the game. This is what has made the, the thing that's been most made me most optimistic about them, hasn't really even been Sean McDermott. Hasn't even really been Brandon Beam. When I'm talking about the staff in the front office more so than the players here, what's made me most optimistic has been Brian Dable's existence on this team. And what he showed creative-wise and his ability to scheme guys open last season. And that definitely carried over into this year, at least through one week. It's only one week. That should that should go without saying. But a very promising start, I thought. I gave Allen an A minus for for Sunday. An A minus. I give him a B for the first half, and it's he was almost flawless in the second half. That touchdown to John Brown. I am the biggest Tyrod Taylor defender you've ever seen. I mean, I will defend that guy to the moon and back as a Bills starting quarterback for what he did in the three years he was here, given that he was brought in as a training camp arm in the beginning of his Bills career. And not only does he win the starting job, but you have a winning record while he's here and you make the playoffs once. So I'll defend him, clearly. You can hear the vigor in my voice there. Tyrod Taylor does not make that pass to John Brown. He just doesn't make it. He rarely attempts it. And Josh Allen, in the fourth quarter, knowing that the team needs a play, throws a guy open. John Brown is not open on that play. Tremaine Johnson, the cornerback who was a little banged up, is right there. And Allen throws it there anyway because he knows that they need to make a play. So what am I going to do? I'm going to give my best playmaker a chance to do it. And he put some zip on it, and he put the ball right where it needed to be, and it leads to the Bills winning week one. And to me, changing my mindset for the season. I had them as about an eight or a nine win team. I was starting to lean more towards eight as the season ended, or as the season uh, approached. This was one of the games I picked for them to lose. I thought these teams were very similar. I thought the Bills and Jets were identical in their... Their timeline, rebuild-wise, second year, young quarterback. We put some free agents around them. The Jets went with a couple of big-name free agents, while the Bills went with a bunch of B-level free agents. I thought these teams were very close. The line said it. The the spread, I should say, said it. And a lot of their expectations said it. The Bills winning at the Jets and... Really controlling the game. like It wasn't just the Bills' offense I was impressed with. Maybe we expected them to be good. That defense looked 
almost dominant on Sunday. The Jets could not do anything. If they didn't get the field position that they had had for the Bills having turnovers, I wonder how many points they would have ended up with. They had one real good drive. That was it. They had one real good drive. The Bills might have had eight. A couple ended turnovers, but they were moving the ball on like seven or eight of their drives. The Jets really consistently moved the ball on one drive on Sunday. Part of that, I thought, was the pass rush on the defensive side. Last year, they were a really good defense. The year before, they were a good defense that got a lot of turnovers. What I thought had held them back from being a truly dominant defense in this league was their pass rush. They could they could cover you with their corners, great safeties, a great number one corner. They've had a good number two corner for a couple of years now, some good linebackers. But what have they always been missing? The pass rush. Jerry Hughes was about it. You didn't get anything from Trent Murphy in year one. You haven't got a lot from Shaq Lawson in two in a couple of years here as a, as a defensive end for the Bills as a starter. Lorenzo Alexander is good at it, but how often was he being utilized in that position? Sunday? Part of it was them disguising their blitzes. The other part of it was they were actually getting some pressure from a four-man unit. Ed Oliver disrupting the middle, pushing him and uh, Jordan Phillips, I thought, did a great job in this regard, pushing the pocket back so that if all, all Jerry Hughes and uh, Trent Murphy or Shaq Lawson had to do was get around that edge because there's no pocket for them to step up into. And that Bills defensive line I thought was creating havoc on Sunday. Now, will they be able to do that all season? I still question that. Because at the end of the day, who's the guy I can really count on game in and game out on the defensive line? For me, the list still begins and ends with Jerry Hughes. Latulale is a non-threat as a pass rusher. I like Jordan Phillips a lot, but he's a backup in this league. Ed Oliver looked really good in his first week, but he's a rookie. I might expect some growing pains. And I'm still waiting to see if Trent Murphy can put a whole season together. He's put one real good season together in his NFL career. It was in Washington a couple of years ago. And otherwise, he's been pretty inconsistent. Shaq Lawson, same thing. We have not really seen the consistency with him as a pass rusher. So can that hold up? Because if their defensive line can continue to get pressure like they did on Sunday, and if they can help that out with some blitzes, with Tremaine, using Tremaine Edmonds, using Lorenzo, then... That could be the last piece of the puzzle to making this Bills defense elite. And not just like a really good one, not even just a great one, but an elite defense. Because if the Bills defense could be elite, think about what some of the conversation was coming into the season, right? We had one show here on the nightcap where we were discussing if the defense holds... If the defense, again, is top five, they were second in the league in total defense last year, if they can be top five again, what does my offense need to be to be a playoff team? Another an example of a team that we always compared the Bills to coming into this year was the Bears. The Bears last year had the best defense in football. Their offense was good. It was not great, but it was good. Would that be enough for the Bills? And my answer for that was yes. I thought if you could be average to slightly above average as an offense, this could very well be a playoff team. In fact, I would pick them to make the playoffs if you told me they were inside the top 16 in the NFL in total offense and inside the top 5 in the NFL in total defense. And that was a realistic goal for me. Can't see top 10 for the offense. Can't see top 5 for the offense. But I could see top 16. I could see 
average to above average. And Sunday, again, they didn't look elite as an offense, but what they showed on Sunday to me is that offense is capable of getting this team to the playoffs if the defense holds. And how could you think the defense isn't going to after one week? The thing about Sam Darnold is, yeah, he's not polished as a quarterback at this point. In fact, I would say after last Sunday, man, I thought Allen looked five times more polished than Sam Darnold did. Sam Darnold, I liked him as a rookie, but he still looked like a rookie. Didn't he? He still looked like a rookie to me. I still like him, but it was so close. It was, to me, the margin between Allen and Darnold, in my mind, was paper thin. And after one week, Allen's got the edge. How can you not give it to him? He was way better, I thought. Darnold made some plays, but at the end of the day, when the Jets needed a drive, he was not capable of putting it together for them. When they needed a play, and Robbie Anderson was running deep and running open, and Darnold has to hit a pass to win the game, he overthrew him. And when Allen needed to make a pass to win the game, he put it right on the money to John Brown. And that might be an example or a sign that Allen is slightly ahead of Darnold right now. If not even significantly ahead. I wouldn't say significantly, but you can make the argument after one week. I would say slightly ahead. And I'm no longer worrying about the Jets after week one. Their schedule is brutal. It's brutal. They go at Cleveland, which, yeah, I know, Cleveland was kind of a train wreck week one. Um, they got blown out by the Titans, who are the one of the most boring football teams in the world, at least in my mind. But Cleveland, you know, I think they should still, I would pick the Browns to beat the Jets. At the very least, that's an even game. Then you got two games against New England. You got a game in Philly. And you play the Cowboys who stomped on the the Giants this past week. The Giant the Jets could start 0-6. They really could. Browns could be a loss. Cowboys could be a loss. Eagles could be a loss. Two New Englands. 0-6. Maybe 1-5. It's hard for me to see them being better than 2-4. I am not thinking about the Jets anymore. Maybe when they hit the easy part of their schedule, they start to come back into the mix a little bit. But I'm not thinking about the Jets right now. I thought going into that game, the Jets needed that game a lot more than the Bills did because the Bills have some easy games coming up. The Giants should be an easy game. They should win that game. If the Bills are going to be the team we all want them to be, they beat the Giants and they beat them comfortably, even though they're on the road. Don't care. That team stinks. They got thrown on and thrown on and thrown on by Dak Prescott. He had 400 yards in the third quarter. And I, you know, some people really like Dak Prescott. He's not really an air-it-out type of quarterback that's throwing for over 300 yards a game, let alone 400 yards a game. And the Giants let him do that. What's the number on Allen this week against the Giants? Over under 275 passing yards? Is that low? The Bills get the Giants. The Bills get the Bengals. The Bills get the Titans, who I'm still not afraid of, even though they beat Cleveland pretty pretty, uh, handily. If the Bills had lost to the Jets, I still would have thought 3-2 and two was realistically in the picture. If not even picking them to go 3-2. and two. And it would be hard for me to see them be not being at least 2-3. and three. 
Like, I didn't think this team could be 1-4. The Jets not only could be a 1-4 team, they could be a 1-5 team. The next upcoming games made that a more important victory for the Jets than for the Bills. And the Bills got it anyway. Playoffs is what we're all going to be talking about. Can this team realistically make the playoffs? The formula. How good does the offense have to be if the defense is good? What does the schedule look like? What are your other teams in your conference doing? Well, one team you had to worry about, you you had to be better than the Jets to even have the playoff conversation. You had to be better than the Jets. I had you had to assume the Bills would be better than the Jets to even entertain the thought of this team making the playoffs. We had a guest on last week, I think it was uh, Connor Rogers from Bleacher Report, who put it perfectly. He said that these two teams both could make the playoffs, but they're so close, and it's realistic to think they split their games, and if that happens, neither's going to make it. That for the Jets or the Bills to make the playoffs, they'll one of which one will probably have to sweep the other for that to happen, or to even have a chance of happening. And the Bills are on their way to that. That's why I'm not really thinking about the Jets anymore. They would have had to sweep the Bills for me to think about them making the playoffs. The same way I would have thought the Bills needed to sweep the Jets for me to start really thinking about the playoffs. But they did. Well, they at least beat them on the road. And if you beat them on the road, you're going to be favored against them at home. So you got to get that win later on. But that's a great first step. Not just for how they looked, not just for how they played, the play calling, how the defense looked, but just looking at it from a result-oriented stance. That was a big game because I needed them to sweep the Jets for me to think about them making the playoffs. And beating them on the road has me thinking that's a real possibility, in fact, a likelihood. You get the Jets week 17. So what do you think? 803-0550 is the phone number. As I mentioned, we'll get into a little bit of hockey in the second hour, a little bit of Marcel Louis-Jacques for our interview of the day, who was on with Howard and Jeremy earlier today. He's a, he's a really good listen. He was actually on One Bills Live, too. You can hear both of those on demand at WGR550.com if you don't want to wait. Um, a couple of baseball games that we'll keep you updated on there in the AL wildcard race. Uh, we got a Yankees game. we got a Red Sox game on. There's some baseball games going on right now. And uh, some reaction to the weekend that was the NFL uh, Week 1. Because there was some other stuff that happened. There was the Jaguars. There was uh, losing Nick Foles. Some of the Bills' upcoming opponents, too, I want to start to go through. Before the season, you could have picked the Bills, as like Howard does in the morning. Which, by the way, you can see how he did that on our website, too. A lot of these teams coming up face some adversity. Some of them, I think, they look easier on your schedule today. And other games on the Bills' schedule, I think, look harder today. We'll go through a couple of those as well. It's the Nightcap with Jody Biasi. Give me a call in the next five minutes. We'll get you right on the next segment here on WGR. on the quarterbacks a season ago you know we were in the top 10 in that area but we didn't get them on the ground as often as we needed to so it was good to come away with those four sacks you know actually getting the quarterback down and we got to build on that and continue that we left a few out on, on the field yesterday as well there were some others that we felt like we should have gotten but it's definitely something we want to improve on it's one game and we're going to face other good quarterbacks other mobile quarterbacks and we got to be able to not just get there but finish the play and get a sack 
Bills defensive coordinator Leslie Frazier speaking yesterday to the media, talking about the pass rush, which, as I said in the first segment, I think they are the key to unlocking a dominant defense for the Bills. Not just a great one, but a dominant one. Because they were good last year. Like, they were okay. As he mentioned, they were top 10 in quarterback hits. But no one other than Jerry Hughes was really consistently getting after the pressure or after the quarterback. And uh, if Trent Murphy and Shaq Lawson can keep playing like they did on Sunday, then maybe you might have three guys that can do it. If not, if you don't add Lorenzo Alexander in there as well. 803-0550 is the phone number. We're going to roll through some calls in just a second. I just remembered there was something else I wanted to get to right away at the top of the show. I forgot. I think this guy's name is Henry Anderson. If you haven't seen the video of this Jets defensive lineman crawling into the back of Josh Allen's knee. Ooh, man, I got... Oh, I'll get to it. <clears throat> I'll get to it. I'll get to it. Let's go through some calls first. Let's go to Butch in Buffalo. Butch, what's up, man? You're on the nightcap. Thanks for taking my call. Great show. But I want to just talk to say what you just said in it. I saw that video, and that was one of the dirtiest plays. It I was horrible. I hope, and I hope the NFL gets a hold of that video and really sues that guy. And as far as the Bills players, I hope they got the video as well, because that's something that, that kind of like swept up under the rug and no one that really, really noticed because it was no interest. But that is dirty. But I'm getting to my point. Uh, you, you know, you, you hit it right off the top. The defense is really top-notch. Uh, and, and Oliver is going to make a big difference with this defensive line, pushing forward. Trent Murphy, he's doing, he's playing better. I think Shaq Lawson should be starting, but, you know, I think he could be a superstar eventually this year. I think he's finally got his act together, and I think he could make a bigger, big difference. But I like what I see there. But moving forward with that, you know, I'm very, I'm very intrigued with Josh Allen. Uh, I, I am. I am. No one can ever say that Josh Allen didn't take all the criticism last year after the end of the season, and go into off season to put some work in, uh, whether it's film, whether it's technique, whether it's confidence. The kid, with the exception of those turnovers, we were moving the ball up the field at will. I mean, at will. And you can say, in the beginning, you can say, we're ready for it. We're ready for the just defense like this. I mean, is it going to be that type of game? Moving forward to next day, I really believe it's going to be easier against the Giants. Now, what you just said, Leslie, first you just said on that defensive thing, you got to get him on the ground. Barkley, Malone cannot go one-on-one with Barkley and open field. It's going to be a wrap. So, you know, I'm about to back to that video, and I want you to hit it on this, listen to your show. <laughs> the most dirtiest videos, dirtiest plays I've ever seen. I, I completely agree. Butch, thanks for the call, man. Yeah, I'll, I'll get to the, the play in a second, but um, f- I agree with most of what you said there. I don't think Shaq Lawson quite a superstar uh, potential, but I am more optimistic today that he and Trent Murphy can suffice that number two defensive end uh, job in, co- in combination uh, than I was before. Um, yeah, the Giants matchup is an interesting one. Eli is so immobile, but the offensive line is better than it was last season for them. I think really th- their offense... I hate, I hate the quarterback at this point. I think Eli has been done for three or four years. At least four. And to me, the receiving core is the worst in the league. So even though their offensive line is better, and I really like their tight end and I really like their running back, that's not enough. It's not enough. And when your defense is allowing... Do they allow 600 yards of total offense against the Cowboys? Like something nuts. I think the Bills should be able to score at will on this team. And... I'm not too afraid of them doing much of anything against the Bills' defense. That's kind of why I think this two-point over-under or this two-point line for this game 
that the Bills are favored by, man, I'd make it higher. I'd make it like four or five. I, I just don't have much of any respect for the Giants. I think if the Dolphins didn't exist, they might be the worst team in football. Um, 803 is the phone number. Let's go to Eli. Eli, what's up, man? You're on the nightcap. Hey, how's it going? Yeah, Good. I just wanted to bring kind of a, a little bit of a tempering to the discussion because I think over the last 20 years, and understandably so, the expectations for Bills fans have been lowered dramatically. Um, and I just wanted to kind of make a little bit of a point about comparing it. So if you compare the Bills game on Sunday to the better and the best offensive teams in the league and the better and the best quarterbacks in the league, uh, you'd probably end up saying, what the hell was that and where did that come from? Because you don't see Drew Brees doing things like what what happened with Allen. And, yeah, I, I agree that I think that the offense looked more modern and that uh, I see what people are saying when they – point out things that they think Josh Allen has improved on. But um, I still think that uh, we need to raise our expectations a little bit. I mean, especially with play calling, too. I mean, Gore up the middle four times in the fourth quarter didn't seem like the best plan to me, especially Mm -hmm. on first down. And earlier in the game, that same play call resulted in a safety. So I just want to temper a few uh, of the things that I've been hearing because it seems like we're being pretty generous and pretty uh, quick to – raise a banner if you will yeah Eli thanks for the call I I'm on board with you there like to me when I say I'm thinking about the playoffs now that you've beaten the Jets mostly that's because I wasn't thinking much I was not going to be thinking about it if you didn't beat them I think you needed that win to even think about it I'm not picking them to make the playoffs but I'm thinking it's realistic now and if you didn't beat the Jets I was thinking that wasn't the case so I do agree with you because the quarterback was not perfect on Sunday, but I'm optimistic on the way he looked. And you're right. they did. There was a couple of run plays like that where they ran Gore up the middle. But I, I can't complain about the Bills' offense and the way the play calling went. I, that was maybe my favorite game in Bills' history that I've watched play calling-wise. 18 passes in a row. It was like, here we go. Josh Allen, year two. We are... Joining the fray, we are gonna. Tr- we're not gonna be them because we don't have Mahomes, and it's hard to expect to have Mahomes. But we're gonna try to be the Chiefs. We're gonna try to be the Rams. We're gonna try to be the Saints. We're gonna try. And they weren't perfect at it. They only scored 17 points, but they moved the ball and they tried to be that type of offense. And I just think that deserves a certain amount of credit. And I think that gives me a certain amount more reason of reason to believe that this team could make the playoffs. I don't think you can really make the playoffs anymore unless you like once every 10 years you can, but you can't do it that often doing it the way they did it in 2017. It's so hard to do it. Think about it. the bills tried to make the playoffs the way they made it in 2017 for 20 years, a run heavy offense and a great defense for 20 years. They tried to be that team. That would make the playoffs. And it happened once. One time. At least they're going about it a different way. And you still got the defensive side of it. So, you're right. I'm not putting up any banners. And I hope people aren't yet. But, it's hard to not feel a certain amount of good after you beat the team that everyone had been comparing you to all offseason. And 
even though you only won by one point, you controlled that game from beginning to end. Let's go to controlled. I mean, it's hard to say controlled, but I thought they outplayed them just because of the yardage. They almost doubled them up in yardage. That's a better tell of how good a team is than, honestly, even the score is. You watch that game. You watch the Bills move up and down the field all day. You watch the Jets have one good drive. Even though it's a one-point game, I'm, I'm feeling a lot better about the Bills today than I am the Jets. Let's go to Jonathan Nalden. What's up, Jonathan? You're on the nightcap. Hey, Joe. Um, I, I, can, I can understand where the previous call was coming from. However, I want to call in and say I am with you. I am a lot more optimistic about the playoffs. I mean, the Jets don't scare me. The Colts lost Andrew Locke. They that should open up a wild card. That might open up a wild card spot. So all of a sudden, the wild card spot is a little bit more wide open. Now, one prediction you and I made, you you made, but that I agree with heading into the season that I don't think is going to come true now is that we're going to be competing with the Patriots. At week 15, because as we saw on Sunday night, Tom Brady is not human. But I think with uh, the way the AFC starting to fall with Andrew Luck's injury, the Jets falling apart, I think this could be a wild card team. I'm not getting the banners up yet, but it could be a wild card team. Yeah, Jonathan, thanks for the call. I, I kind of do agree with you that I would, uh, if I could walk back that prediction right now, I probably would. Because it wasn't as much, it wasn't, that prediction really wasn't a whole lot about the Bills. I had the Bills at like eight wins. Nine. I think maybe... Did, I don't remember. Did I predict nine before the season started? I was at eight or nine. And me saying that I thought the Bills' Week 15 game would be against New England for first... Week 16 would be against the Patriots for first place. I really did. I thought New England was going to take a step back. And that was before they got Antonio Brown. But, man, they throttled Pittsburgh. And unless Pittsburgh is taking a big step back, which I guess I'd rather have that happen because it's one less team I have to compete with in the wild card. Um... They didn't show any signs of slowing down on Sunday. Someone's going to be right someday on this, though. At least give me credit for taking the swing. Someone's going to be right eventually. Bills, Jets reaction. Looking forward to the Giants game as well. 803-0550 is the phone number. It's the nightcap with Jody Biasi. Let's go to Connor in New York City. Connor, what's up, man? You're on the nightcap. Uh, hey, what's up? How's it going? Um, Yeah, so I'm from New York City, and I um, kind of get caught in the news in the um, Giants and the Jets. Okay. And the Giants are just like full tank bug. And you're a Bills fan? That game. Yeah. Nice. nice. Wait, you, you think they're trying to tank like Miami level or they're just going to be bad? Um, I think the, the what Gerald's talking about, I think they're going to make some moves or something for some draft picks, but yeah, okay. they're going to go tank mode eventually like Miami. Okay, I see. Looking ahead at the schedule, um, you know, the Patriots obviously going to be a tough one. And um, probably Miami, too. But I don't know why we can't just win the Super Bowl. Um. All right, Connor, thanks for the call. I could probably give you a bunch of reasons why not. Yeah, no. Just We're not, we're not there yet. If we ever do. That, that word just isn't even my vocabulary yet. So, hell, I'm not even ready. I'm not ready to pick them and make the playoffs. So... Hey, all credit to you if you think that team can legitimately make the Super Bowl. Although I do, I have to question, uh, I have to question you on that because you had mentioned that Miami would be a tough one right before that. So, anyways, Giants, then the Bengals, then New England, then Tennessee. If anything, the Giants game got easier, 
after week one. The Bengal game, you know, they, they put up a pretty good fight against Seattle. They may, they could have won that game very easily in Seattle. So I'm a little impressed by Cincinnati. I didn't think they were a pushover either. I just thought at home that should be a game the Bills get. Um, New England's tough. Tennessee looked really good against Cleveland, but I'm not buying them. Miami, that should be the easiest win on the schedule at home. Philly showed some... Uh, they showed some holes. How do you let the Redskins get up on you like that? Credit to them for coming back, but the Redskins don't have a lot of talent, and you were getting smoked by them at one point. They did come back. Then there's the Redskins, who did show well against uh, Philly. Cleveland, now at Cleveland, doesn't look as daunting, if that continues. You can't lose by 30 at home to Tennessee and still be the division favorite. All right, Baltimore is the division favorite after week one. Maybe that's overreacting because they played Miami and Pittsburgh had a tough uh, matchup. But, yeah, like who do you bet on to win the NFC North today? Because to me, I think I would pick, I think I would still pick Cleveland. I'm sorry, I'm just not going to buy it. I'm not going to give uh, too much credit to beating that Dolphin team where half the team wants out. And they're not even that talented to begin with. So it's not like you got star players demanding out. You got average players demanding out at best. Then you got Denver on the schedule. I think that looks a lot easier. I, did, I thought they were going to be bad anyway. They lost to Oakland. Oof. They were a favorite in that game. Um, Dallas looked really good against the Giants, but the Giants kind of stink. Baltimore, as I just talked about, Pittsburgh, New England, the Jets. I would say about half their schedule looks harder than it did on uh, week one. Tennessee showed well. Cincinnati showed well. The Redskins did. And Baltimore did. So there are a couple of other games that might look easier today, but I'm wondering if that Bill schedule won't just be uh, one of the easiest in the league like we all thought it was going to be. 803-0550 is the phone number. I want to get into hockey a little bit in the second hour. As I mentioned, I got some thoughts on Rasmus versus the line. I'm going to have the piece up on our website at WGR550.com at some point tonight on that. Um, we'll hear from Marcel Louis-Jacques, who was really good today on the morning show. He was also good on One Bills Live, but we're going to play back the interview from him on with Howard and Jeremy, speaking on Allen's performance against the Jets. How they use the running backs, by the way, which I want to talk about next, a little Devin Singletary versus Frank Gore uh, talk coming your way. Um, but we'll hear from Marcel uh, in the second hour. Watch your phone calls at 803-0550. we got a couple of segments before that to get you in before. Call in the next five minutes. We'll get you right on here on WGR. Coach is also wary of putting too much on Devin Singletary to start off. I think after what he did in that fourth quarter, uh, granted some of it was because that defensive line was a little tired if they didn't have C.J. Mosley in the game, but the way that he closed the game, it's really hard to imagine him not being in the game plan moving forward. I 100% agree with that. I mean, whew. Devin Singletary was great against the Jets. This is the whole thing. I mean, I talked about it all offseason. I wanted this kid to be able to play. Just have the opportunity to be able to play. It was never going to happen with McCoy here. I mean, it could have happened, but it would have been harder. You got two veterans demanding touches. You got a rookie on the bench that might be really good. Can you even get to a point where he's getting touches? And they got to that point. Um, 
We'll see a little bit more of him, I'm sure, going forward. I actually got offered a trade in uh, in fantasy. Someone offered me Keenan Allen for Sammy Watkins and Devin Singletary, and I couldn't part with him. I didn't think that he was enough, or he, he, that he was... I thought he was enough. I thought he was more than enough to suffice the difference between Watkins and Keenan Allen. I just couldn't do it. I think that, that guy could be, in, in fantasy leagues, he could be a keeper. If you're in a keeper league, not quite a dynasty league, but like a 2-3-4 player keeper league, Devin Singletary might have some real value at the end of the year, especially when, you know, there's no Bills running back under contract. Oh, TJ Yeldon is. Oh. Okay, so TJ Yeldon's under contract, but Gore's not. So, I'm really impressed with him, and I would like to see a lot of him going forward in the offense. 803-0550 is the phone number. What do you got? Any thoughts from the leftover from the Bills-Jets game you don't think have gotten out in a couple of days here? Um, or if you want to look forward to the Giants game uh, or the season as a whole, let me know. 803-0550 is the phone number. Let's go to Rick in Niagara Falls. Rick, what's up, man? You're on the nightcap. Hey, how you doing? Good. Uh, I have a question for you. Um not really about the Bills, it's about the NFL altogether. I noticed yesterday a few of the quarterbacks started off really shaky. And um, my question to you is two parts. Do you, did you happen to observe the same thing with these guys not playing in preseason coming off? It yep. seemed like they're a little, like, uh, like even Drew Brees, I watched that game. He started off really shaky. But do you think there's a little coordination in not playing Preseason versus, um, yeah, Rick. Thanks for the call, man. Like my guess would be that it, some teams that's happened, but it's very minuscule. I think the Bears maybe experienced that, but I think if you have a good offense and you have a veteran quarterback, for the most part, those guys have done well. Like Patrick Mahomes didn't play in the preseason, and he was amazing. He had 300 yards in the second quarter. Um, Jared Goff. In the Rams, they didn't play a lick of the preseason, and they came right out swinging like they normally do on offense against the Panthers. So, yeah, there were a couple of teams that, like the the Browns, so there were a couple of teams that didn't play their starters in the preseason and then were pretty rusty out the gate, but I think that might just be a coincidence, to be honest. Because I got other teams out here that did the same thing, and they looked tremendous. So maybe, but I don't think it's that big a deal. I've never thought that was a big deal. I mean, college football teams, they don't play preseason. They come out, well, I guess they're playing, you know, pretty weak opponents to get the season started. So that might be a bad example, but. Yep, so there's that. 803 is the phone number. Thank you for the call. We will take a timeout. We'll get to Marcel Louis Jacques on the other side of this break in the second hour. Then I got a little bit on Rasmus Ristolainen for you. It's beginning to seem like this guy is going to be a saber on opening night. Maybe not. Like, There's some Bob McKenzie stuff in the last couple of days, um, but maybe Ristolainen's a saber on opening night. We'll get to that as well. It's the Nightcap with Jody Biasi. Thanks for listening here on WGR. Is this the Nightcap? Yo, this is Patrick. Is this the Nightcap? No, this is Patrick. Nightcap. No! This is Patrick! Time now for the Nightcap on WGR Sports Radio 550. I would have to say Patrick Starr is one of the few, uh, like, kids TV characters that I will still laugh at. There's these, uh... 
out of context Twitter accounts that seem to be popping up and growing in popularity on Twitter and social media. If you were a Nickelodeon kid like I was, for you millennials out there, big Drake and Josh guy, that one's funny to me, that out of context account. There's the, the SpongeBob one, of course, with yours truly, Patrick Starr there. He's one of the few I'll still laugh at. Don't know what it is about him, but I will. 803 is the phone number. It's the Nightcap with Jody Biasi here on WGR. Uh, I want to get some hockey in this hour. I want to get to some Marcel-Louis Jacques. Get uh, some fantasy, maybe. Pertaining to the Bills. The Bills have some fantasy-relevant players for the first time in a really long time. And, like, really relevant. Like, John Brown, man. I'll talk to I'll talk about him coming up in a little bit and in terms of fantasy, but I am loving John Brown right now in fantasy football. We'll get to that uh, probably right after this. Marcel Louis-Jacques, though, our interview of the day with Howard and Jeremy from earlier today. We'll talk more about the Bills with Marcel Louis-Jacques joining us right now from ESPN.com. He covers the Bills for them. Marcel, it's Howard and Jeremy. Good morning. Nice to have you on the show. First time with us. Welcome, sir. Yeah, good morning to y'all as well. Thanks for having me. Excited to... Uh talk some bills with you man it's just uh it's really good to be in the regular season i gotta tell you marcel we met you at training camp you seem like a very nice guy we were looking forward to having you on but then i got some troubling news about you from a source who i can't name about a flag football game you were involved in and a touchdown you scored and then you got a penalty for spiking the ball in a flag football game <laughs> i'm a little concerned about having you on the show now marcel um yeah, can't reveal man, my source yeah, that that uh, that happened. That happened. Uh, it might have even been a two point conversion, to be honest. Oh my god, that makes but, it even uh, worse, Marcel. I couldn't. I couldn't help it before the play. The safety is telling the corner, "Oh, they're not going to him. They're not going to you." Like, don't you got to, like? It, it was just. Uh, it, it was. It was good coverage. It was good coverage. All right. But just perfect little back shoulder throw. Uh, ripped it away, and uh, I don't even think I spiked it that hard. I just <laughs> aggressively put the ball on the ground. Well, we've already learned you're a me guy, so that's that's one strike uh, against you, Marcel. <laughs> uh, to to the Bills, which is why we have you on. So Josh Allen, obviously, there there were two things: the turnovers on the offense, Josh Allen, the play of the defense. Let's start with the quarterback, Week One, uh, and the pass happy attack. What do you think of how Josh looked in the opener? Uh, you know. It, it's uh, it was like a tale of of two Josh Allen's to be honest. Through the first three quarters or so, uh, he wasn't horrible per se. Uh, he did make a few decisions that that stand out. Um, the it, it's hard to fault him too much for the two interceptions uh, that throw to Cole Beasley. It, it should have been caught, but it was pretty low. Um, and he's got to show a little bit of finesse. When uh, when you've got a lineman bearing down on you, defensive lineman bearing down on you on the tip pass, uh, but there were also a couple passes that probably should have been intercepted. The defensive holding bailed him out. Um, yet to be seen, yet to be known if, if if he believed it was a free play. Either way, it's kind of a waste of a free play if you're throwing that pick. Uh, almost a back-breaking one in the red zone as well in the third quarter that ended up uh, a Stephen Hauschka field goal. But then there was the fourth quarter, Josh Allen, and this was the—that's the glimpse of, of what he what he can be, what what his potential is. Eight for ten, 102 yards and a touchdown. Uh, added another 11 carries on the ground and scored. Uh, saw him make some smart decisions. Saw him step up in the pocket. Saw him really perform in the face of of, of literal pressure of blitzers coming at him. 
And uh, I, I thought that, you know, if you finish the game well, if, if you're finishing, that's ultimately what matters. And, and that's ultimately what a team can live with. That's what your coach can live with if you know how to close a game out. And uh, I think it's going a long way toward the narrative that we've heard all offseason that this is Josh Allen's team right now, that he's got that command of the team, command of the huddle. Uh, and finishes like that are going to be uh, finishes like that are going to go a long way. Uh, that being said, you know the next step is, is not getting yourself in that situation to begin with. Um, you know the the bot snap might be on Morse, might be on him, uh, but the the strip sack is absolutely on him. You've got to keep two hands on the ball. You've got to keep uh, you, you've got to be in control when you're in the pocket like that. There's just there are little mistakes to clean up. But luckily for him, he's got Giants this week. He's got the Bengals next week. I mean, if there's ever a two-game stretch to get into a rhythm, it's probably going to be right here. You mentioned the narrative, and I, I did want to follow up because the you know they came out with this pass-happy attack. And I know Brian Dable talked to you guys yesterday and, and basically said, hey, sometimes you pass set up the run, sometimes run set up the pass. And they felt the best approach against the Jets on Sunday was the one they took. But do you think – that Sunday, Sunday kind of looked like what you saw in the preseason and at training camp too, Marcel. Do you think this is an indication the identity of the Bills' offense will not necessarily be running the football? It will be more towards leaning on Josh Allen and the passing game. Uh, I, I I think that's pretty safe to – it's safe to say right now, but I, I, he was also wary of uh, – the coaches were also wary of putting too much on, on Devin Singletary uh, – to start off, and I think after what he did in that fourth quarter, uh, granted some of it was because their defensive line was a little tired, and some of it was because they didn't have C.J. Mosley in the game, but the way that he closed the game, it's really hard to imagine him not being in the game plan moving forward, not be, him not being a, a really focal point of the game plan moving forward. Uh, but I think this shows – trust that they have in Josh Allen's development as a passer over the offseason and to to Josh's credit I mean he he showed some finesse he showed some touch in those intermediate routes and those short passes uh, he threw the ball away when he needed to uh, he didn't you didn't see him extending the play outside of the pocket and trying to make something happen where you, you know when he did that last season he was statistically one of, if not the worst quarterback in the league. And so you're really seeing that uh, you're seeing a shift in second nature. You're seeing a shift in his mentality. And uh, that's important moving forward. We're with Marcel Louis-Jacques from ESPN.com. He covers the Bills for them. The offensive line uh, was a, a big one of the big stories in the offseason, Marcel, with the offensive overhaul. Uh, game one in the record books. What did you think of the new-look Bills offensive line in the opener? I, I mean, one sack. Josh Allen, a relatively clean jersey. It's hard to, it's hard to, uh, you know, fault them too much. Uh, there were a couple, a couple low points. Uh, Deion Dawkins did get beat uh, pretty badly on on that strip sack in the opening drive. Uh, Cody Ford didn't have the best debut uh, a rookie's ever seen, but ultimately it, it wasn't the sieve that this unit was last season and uh once again this is uh it's an important three-game stretch to start the year because it's a it's a confidence builder and it's uh it's a rhythm builder so uh, they've got a they've got a pretty aggressive defense coming up with the new york giants um then uh they've got a chance to once again kind of 
set their bar against the Bengals in week three. But uh, it's, it's, I think it's, they're off to a good start thus far. We're with Marcel Louis-Jacques from ESPN.com. I, I, I shouldn't completely ignore the defense, but I want to ask you about week two because the matchup with the Giants would sure look, you'd look at it and go, okay, just don't let Saquon Barkley go bananas on you, uh, especially if you know Tate's out, Shepard's in concussion protocol. It sure looks like Barkley is their best weapon. So I guess I'm going to ask you what you thought of the Bills' run defense against Le'Veon Bell and then carry it into what should be if not the toughest test, depending on how you feel about Ezekiel Elliott, one of the two toughest tests for the Bills' run defense this season. Yeah, I think Saquon Barkley is obviously uh, he's a top three running back in the in the league right now. But regardless of how long it's been since Le'Veon Bell played, he's still Le'Veon Bell, and uh, he looked good at times yesterday on Sunday. Excuse me, but I think three and a half yards. For carry against one of the premier backs in the league, I think you're going to take that if you're Leslie Frazier in this defense. And if Saquon Barkley is the only thing you need to be focused on, which if Sterling Shepard remains in concussion protocol, Tate's obviously suspended still, you still need to be concerned with Evan Ingram. Uh, Jets didn't have anything at tight end to uh, anyone at tight end who could challenge uh, Buffalo in the passing game on Sunday. So this is going to be a little bit of a, a little bit of a different look, but. Ultimately, especially with Eli Manning at quarterback, I, I mean, you can really just stack the box essentially and, and hone in on on Saquon Barkley. Now, I'd expect him; he's going to get some of he's going to get some runs off. That's just what players of his caliber do. But uh, it's uh, I think you're going to give up if Saquon's the only one who can move the ball incrementally. I, I think that Sean McDermott and Leslie Frazier are, are going to walk away happy from this game. Marcel Louis-Jacques, you can read his work, ESPN.com, part of NFL Nation. He covers the Bills for them. Marcel, thanks. Nice having you on the show. Appreciate it. And uh, you, you go ahead and celebrate some more two-point conversions. I, I won't say anything. So you saw, and you sort said nothing about the, the pass breakups or the no. reception? Or, no, no. The, that's, that's cold-blooded, man. The source, source. the source, who I can't <laughs> reveal, Sal, said nothing about the pass breakups. But I'll text him and see if, <laughs> if that's legit. <laughs> no, it, it, was, uh, it was fun last night, man. Cool. I, I think it was the first time I played flag in three years. But, uh, you know, emotions come out, man. That's right. Emotions come out. We're all competitive. That's what it's all about. So, Hey, it was nice having you on the show, Marcel. Thank you, sir. Hey, thanks for having Have me. Have a nice day. Have a rest of the morning. There is Marcel Louis-Jacques. I want to get in back into some flag football. I need to play some football. It's been a long time for me. High school was like five years ago. I know a lot of you rolling your eyes at that, but... It's true. That's a long time to me. Five years is a long time to me. Um, So, a couple of things. Before I go on a mini rant, if I even get there, John Brown and Fantasy. I have him in, I'm in a guillotine league. If you don't know what a guillotine fantasy football league is, that is where the lowest scoring team at the end of each week is eliminated and all of his players go to free agency and everyone's bids on those guys. So I have John Brown in one of those leagues. I wish I had him in more places. And I almost feel like, you know, a lot of times it feels like being in Buffalo, Bills going higher in the draft than they should benefits me. Benefits anyone that thinks the same way I do in that I don't need the Bills. I'm going to value them right where they're valued by most other people. I'm not going to overvalue them because of their Bills. I'm not going to undervalue them because they're Bills. John Brown, 
is one of those cases where I think he's better than where he's been ranked mostly in fantasy football. But I can't get him at a solid value in most leagues because he's a Bill, and a lot of times in Buffalo, Bills will go a little bit higher than they normally do. John Brown stat line this year could really be, it could look really good. I wouldn't be surprised if he's over a thousand yard receiver. I wouldn't be surprised if he's got seven, eight, nine touchdowns. I wouldn't be surprised if he's in the 60, 70 catch uh, range. Part of that for me is look at the spot he's playing. He's playing the same position that Robert Foster was at the end of last season. I'm still intrigued by Robert Foster and if he can contribute anything to this team offensively uh, this year. But at the end of last season, the second half from weeks 13, I think it's weeks 13 on, Robert Foster was on a pace for over 50 catches, over 1,000 yards, and 8 touchdowns. That's the kind of pace he was on playing that spot as the vertical threat and one of Josh Allen's number one targets. And John Brown is a more complete version of Robert Foster. He's better on the underneath routes. He is a little bit better with his separation. Um, I don't really know how I would want to rate them vertical-wise, uh, like who's a bit better deep threat. I think they're both very good deep threats. But I think Brown's a more complete wide receiver. And I think that could allow him to have at least that pace that Robert Foster was on. And if Brown can meet just what Foster's pace was, we're talking about a 1,000-yard receiver with eight touchdowns. And if he can prove to be even better than that, then... You have not only a legitimate number one receiver for the Bills this season, but you have a legitimate startable fantasy option week to week in John Brown. That's really what he was last year in Baltimore. Before Lamar Jackson takes over and the Ravens go all in on a run, run, run heavy offense. I mean, the one of the most run heavy offenses we've seen in years. Before that happened, Brown was a very startable wide receiver in fantasy football. And that was with Joe Flacco, a quarterback, and I'm not a big Joe Flacco fan at all. I think Allen right now is better than Joe Flacco is, and I think he's better than Joe Flacco was last season. So he might have an upgrade at quarterback. He's still the same player, and you've got two things working for you. What Brown was in Baltimore was a startable receiver. What Foster was as the number one receiver in Buffalo was a startable receiver. Put the two things together. That guy should have been drafted four or five rounds before he was being drafted. He was going as like a 10th, 11th round pick. I picked him, I think, in the seventh round in the one place I have him. That's about where I was looking to pick him. Um, if you have him, he's not a guy I would sell high on. He's a guy I would keep because I can see John Brown's stat line looking like it did on Sunday throughout the season. I think he's going to have a floor. I think he's going to have a baseline. If this team is going to want to throw the ball like they did on Sunday and he is the best receiver on the team, then you need to have him in fantasy football if you've already got him. You need to keep him. Not trade him. Because I know that might be the type of idea you think, all right, sell high, right? You draft a guy in the 10th round. He has a really good week one. Your instinct might be, let me get some value. Let me trade him as if I picked him in the 5th round now, just in case he goes back to where I drafted him. But I don't think that's going to happen with Brown. I don't think you're going to see any regression from week one. Maybe a little bit, but I think he's going to have a pretty consistent uh, baseline for for his statistics and for his impact on the Bills uh, throughout the season. So I'm very intrigued uh, by John Brown going forward. Beasley, I was never a big fan on him in fantasy. PPR, fine, but other than that, flex option and PPR, that's, that's, that's about the ceiling for me. There's no ceiling for Beasley. You know what I mean? He'll get his catches, but... 
in this offense, I just can't see that guy exploding. Brown, that could very well happen. With the style of offense they play, and if they're going, not, not just their play calling, but the style of pass game they have. With that quarterback, that's a vertical offense. They threw the ball deep more than anyone in the league last year. And put that together with now they might be throwing it twice as much as they were last year. Maybe. Then that guy is going to hold some real value, I think. 803-0550 is the phone number. Um, one other Bills thing I want to touch on here. This I think his name is Henry Anderson. If you have not seen the video, I know Sal Capaccio tweeted it out on his Twitter, at Sal Sports. Um, I have a thought on it, at Sneaky Joe WGR. His name is Henry Anderson, I think, is the uh, the name of the player. He's a Jets defensive end, and there have been a couple of videos that have leaked out. Um, not even leaked out, just been shown in the past 24 hours. This guy is the guy that drilled Steven Hauschka Blindside hit last year gave Hauschka a back injury. This guy is the same guy who there's another video of him doing something similar. And then Sunday, there is a video of this guy doing, you know, Greg Williams, the defensive coordinator. What this guy did, it's hard to not think, to not to connect the dots. You know what I mean? Greg Williams was suspended for a year for Bounty Gate. I mean, if you're Greg Williams and you have that resume, you cannot have this guy doing that. You can't. Because if I'm the league, how am I not at least looking into that a little bit? So, okay, let's assume that nothing's going on behind the scenes. And this guy, because to be fair, he was already delivering deep shot or, uh, delivering uh, dirty hits before Greg Williams got there as defensive coordinator. But this guy crawls. He's on the ground. He's behind Josh Allen. The play is in the other direction, like way in the other direction. It's not even close. All the offensive linemen are looking one way. Allen's looking one way. See where his pass went. This guy, who was on the ground, starts crawling towards Josh Allen and then crawls into the back of his knee. That guy needs to be suspended. If this league wants to be serious about player safety, and I know they want to mainly take out the headshots, which is fine, because concussions and all of that is the number one problem, I think, affecting the league long-term right now. CTE, concussions in the league. But, you know... When a guy like that is very clearly doing something with one goal in mind, which is to hurt, to injure the quarterback, especially the starting quarterback of a team. I mean, how can you not do anything about that? And we'll see if they do end up doing something. Heavy fine, suspension, I think that should absolutely be suspension worthy. Because it's not even that, you know, like Ndamukong Sue, remember him? Remember him, he still plays. Plays for the Buccaneers. That guy was stomping on people's arms. He was, you know, he was throwing people's helmets. He was pushing them after plays. Like, he was doing some dirty stuff. This is on a whole nother level. This is doing something that could take a guy out for the entire year. You are aiming for the back of his knee. You're thinking about one thing. 
you're thinking about tearing this guy's ACL. You're thinking about tearing any ligament you can in this guy's leg as you crawl into the back of his leg. One of the dirtiest plays I've seen in football. Horrible. And it's on video. Now, you can see it from the All-22. It's kind of at a bird's eye view. You can see it, though. And then there's the broadcast view where they cut away right after he does it. So you don't really see the aftermath. But you see him do it. The video's there. I have to imagine the Bills going through all the video they do. We had Micah Hyde on yesterday. He's on the show up in the Bulldog every Monday now. And he said that he had, by yesterday he had already watched film four or five times. So I'd have to imagine that players on the Bills offense, Josh Allen, the Bills coaching staff, Sean McDermott, Brian Dable, have watched all the film from that game, saw that, and reached out to the league. Because how could... I'd have to believe that they saw that and reached out to the league. How could you not, as a human being? Because that was... It made me literally angry. I saw that... So I, I play hockey on Monday nights. So I didn't really get to see much of Monday Night Football last night. I'm not really plugged into social media. As I... Start to settle in finally. It's like after midnight. I play a little bit late. I got the show here. Um, play a little bit late. So I get home probably about midnight. I go on Twitter. I'm seeing, all right, what did I miss? All right, let's see. We got still got this Broncos-Raiders game going on. All right, I'll throw that on in the background. Um, let's see. What, what happened? Okay, so Houston, New Orleans, great game. 58-yard field goal. Sweet, sweet. I'm still scrolling through. There's Sal. There's Sal's tweet with all the videos of this play. And it made me vi- – I was in a great mood. Played two hockey games that night, won them both. I thought I did very well. So I'm in a great mood. My fantasy teams are doing pretty well. One guy came back on me, but out of six leagues, I think I won four. That video made me visibly angry. It made me visibly angry. That's for As someone who has played sports, that play made me furious. That It's not, not even a play. How can you call it a play? That video made me furious. And nowadays, I'm not trying to get too emotional about the Bills. Until they at least, you know what I mean? Like, until they do something, like, real. Like, I was over the moon when that team made the playoffs. That was the first time in my life that they really made the playoffs. Like, 99, I'm four years old. It hardly I can hardly remember it at all. So, I'll get emotional when... Stuff happens that's like really good, but otherwise I've kind of plateaued on the Bills until it really happens. That play brought something out of me that I have not felt in a long time with this team. It's just in football in general, in sports in general. It's so dirty. It's so clearly targeted to do one thing. End the season of the quarterback of your division rival. Maybe the guy's not thinking, and if he's not thinking, that means that was instinctual. And that, in many ways, can be just as worse, if not worse. Because then you've got a guy running around not thinking doing stuff like that. Because then you can't fix a guy like that. Then a suspension doesn't matter to a guy like that. Then a fine doesn't matter to a guy like that. He's going to keep doing it. Reminds me of Radko Gudas in the uh, in the NHL. That guy... I've reached the point where he does not think when he does the stuff he does. If you don't know too much about hockey, Radko Gudas runs around and just doesn't care. He's going to hit you from behind. He's going to knee you. He's going to he's gonna cross-check you in the back of the neck. I think that guy just does that on instinct. 
So he's been suspended a million times. He's been fined a million times. He's going to keep doing it because that's who he is. And this guy, like, let's find out if that's who he is. But to do that, you've got to start suspending players like that. Especially for something that is that clear and that dangerous. Like I said, if you don't know the play that I'm talking about, I don't even want to call it a play. If you don't know the video I'm talking about, uh, go on Twitter, follow Sal, at uh, Sal Sports. He's got, a co- he's got a couple of videos um, showing that. Unbelievable. Like the Jets, I mean... If I were a Jets coach, if I, I don't know, I, I don't expect Adam Gase to do this, but if my own player did that, I'd want ramifications, or I would take it into my own hands. It's just, it's abysmal. I, I cannot believe that that happened, and it's so clear. He's on the ground. I'm watching it right now one more time. He's on the ground. Allen is in the pocket. He throws the ball. Anderson had dove for him just before. He misses. As he's on the ground, he's on his hands and knees. Allen is now about three yards away from him. Anderson is to the back left of him. So think of it this way. Allen has thrown the ball to the right. So Allen, Allen's back is to Anderson. He gets on, he's on his hands and knees. He kind of does like, almost like, he's almost in a position like you would start for the play from. Think about how a defensive end lines up. He's got two hands on the ground, he's got one knee in front of the other, and he's ready to launch. And he doesn't launch necessarily like on a play like that, but he, I mean, he does in a way. He pushes off towards Allen and stays super low, in a crawling matter, so he's still on his hands and knees, right into the back of Josh Allen's leg. Brutal. Absolutely brutal. Deserves a suspension and a fine, in my opinion. 803 is the phone number. We'll get into hockey when we come back. Rasmus Ristolainen uh, in particular. It's looking like this guy's going to be on the Sabres to open the season. I don't think that's the end of the world, and I'll explain more on that when we return. It's the Nightcap with Jody Biasi here on WGR. Welcome back to the Nightcap. Joe DiBiase here on WGR. Sorry, there's an enormous spider here in the studio. What's enormous? Is that, like, quarter size? Because that's what I got in here. Is that enormous? It's pretty big from, uh, by Buffalo standards, I would say. Um, Rasmus Ristolainen, the Sabres, all on the docket here. I want to get into the Sabres a little bit as we got training camp coming up on Thursday. Specifically, Rasmus Ristolainen, but first... The best listen, in my opinion, right now in Buffalo sports. Maybe second. Deion Dawkins did pretty well for himself this weekend with the uh, with the mac and cheese talk. Um, but Ralph Kruger, a guy I'm very happy with, is the Sabre coach. Little recap on the uh, Prospects Challenge that just happened, but a lot on Ristolainen and training camp upcoming, the team upcoming. There's a little interview here from uh, Ralph Kruger with uh, Paul Hamilton. What would you think of the guys throughout this tournament? Well, it was impressive how much compete there was, and the you know the 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 will to win was there right off the bat. Even today, you know, with a, a bit of a rough start, they fought their way back into this one. And I thought that the leadership, players that had been here before, uh, was was strong, and uh, the new younger 
rookie players, the true rookie players, were uh, were well guided through this process, and we got to see some new players, and I, I personally got to know them a lot better in these last few days. So it was uh, overall, we have to say, it was a good good weekend. How about a guy like Rostelin, who's a European free agent, you know, just getting his feet wet in the NHL? Yeah. What did what did you see out of him? I think it's important that uh, that we assess him at main camp. You know, it's uh, coming. Players that have played on the bigger ice surface, maybe to prepare for this week. It's uh, there's an adjustment there that I I'm aware of, and uh, you know there you could see a lot of skill in the group, and uh, you know he's one of them that we're looking forward to looking at in main camp. Yeah, you mentioned main camp. What are you most looking forward to this week once it gets going? Just to get on the ice. I actually went for a little skate this morning. It's good none of you were there, so <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't pretty. But uh, there's no threat to any players from my skating. But I, I just look forward to getting on the ice with the players. They've, you know, we had 30, 30 players at practice this morning, uh, captain's practice, and you could feel the energy is really upbeat, and everybody's happy to be back and ready to go. So I look forward to getting to know this group. I look forward to you know, feeding the competition that we have now with the deeper roster and uh, seeing how everybody reacts. And, of course, I look forward to bringing in the, the culture that we want to see on the ice and the principles and the the concepts as quickly as possible. This is your goal about establishing that culture. You get the, a chance to make your first impression once. Yeah. So what are you focusing on this week? Yeah. Well, I think first impressions are, are uh, over off the ice, which we all know. There's been a lot of contact there. And on the ice, uh, I don't feel we need to to rebuild and reinvent everything within a week. So I think patience is important here. First 10 days, four games, uh, it's about assessing the players and letting them also slide back into the competitive mode. And uh, I don't feel uh, a big heat there and getting everything across. Uh, I think that the second half of the training camp where you're getting into the final two games and you're you're getting uh, back into the, into the battle of the league and at the beginning of October, that's going to be a lot more detail, a lot more intense, and that's the time we really have to solidify how we're going to play. And, uh, you know, the first phase is more about general concepts and let the players play and see what they naturally do so we can then start making adjustments uh, to, to really bring everybody together for the season. What are your emotions going into the week? You've never had a chance to run a real NHL camp before yeah. because of what happened in the lockout. You didn't get yeah, the chance yeah. you're going to have this week. Well, I'm actually feeling a lot like I've, uh, you all know I have a big national team background where camps are just part of your life. You're just permanently doing camps. So it's, I, don't, I don't feel anything other than an excitement and uh, a positive energy for the opportunity to have this responsibility in Buffalo. You know? So this specifically is uh, something I'm looking forward to. But as far as, let's say, being odd that it's an NHL camp, that's not really coming up at all. We've worked hard in preparation here the last month with the coaches to be clear on our language, to get ourselves uh, on the same page as far as how we're going to teach the, the different processes. And now it's up to me to lead that. And I enjoy doing that. I, I look forward to the responsibility and, the, you know, and, and uh, the, the pleasure of working together with these players. I, I think it's it's difficult. To, there was so little preparation here. You know, it was a it was a one day practice, and uh, the players are also not in physical shape yet to to actually implement all the things we want to see. Uh, you know, we we definitely in Rochester and in Buffalo want to connect the, the way we play. We'd like to feel Sabres hockey all the way through to Cincinnati, even. And I think that 
that uh, that this is still far from the end product. We expect a, a much clearer identity as we go through these next few weeks. Assuming he's here Friday morning, how much yeah. do you have to sit down with Ristolainen yeah. and take his temperature and see where yeah. his head is? Well, we've been communicating even these last few days, and uh, you know he he's going to be sliding in here in the next next few hours. Uh, you know, by tomorrow he'll be here with the guys, and I, I know that it's going to be it's going to be fun to work with a player with that skill and ability. I have nothing but uh, but but uh, excitement for working with him. I, I know there's a lot of potential there that's still untapped, and it's up to me and the coaches to find out what that is. And when you're in Edmonton, you leaned on veterans a lot when you're trying to establish a culture. What is that process yeah. like in the early days of camp to kind of work with those guys to see how? You can kind of guide things moving forward. Well, I think it's important you try to see what's here naturally and what's already present, and uh, I'm feeling there's a lot. And, uh, you know, the responsibility of everybody to be a part of leadership. It's not just one individual or three or seven. It's the whole team at certain times has to take that. And I think that, you know, we have uh, we have some, uh, uh, you know, we have a lot of opportunity there to build a culture that will strengthen us for also the times of adversity and, and and keep us moving in the right direction when we do good things, you know. And I think that that's that's uh, all part of what I like to do. And, uh, and be, you know, getting the communication going at the beginning will be the most important thing. As you mentioned, the competition in the last five. Yes. How yeah. much does past experiences come into it? How much is it open eyes and open competition when you when you start? Yeah. No. I mean, it's quite clear that competition is is what you want, and uh, you want players to come in a little uncomfortable about where the ice time is going to be and how, I, how they're going to get there. And I think that the processes will be laid out clearly. It'll be a very open communication on what it's going to take, and then it's up to the players to answer those questions. And uh, I am I'm convinced that the players will, will decide that on the ice, and it will be easy for us at the end. Ralph Kruger, an always interesting man. And uh, while he was speaking there, I did kill that spider. Um, just a quick update on that. Rasmus Ristolainen, he mentions there, uh, will be at Sabres training camp. Uh, Jason Botchel confirmed that as well uh, to the media. And I'll have a piece on this, this probably uh, either tonight or tomorrow morning, on Ristolainen. I think we have to start bracing for him on the team. Like, have you really, if you're a Sabre fan, have you really even thought about what the team looks like with him on it again? All offseason, going into the offseason, I just assumed he was going to be traded. I didn't need him to be traded, but I thought it was going to happen. And it still could. September 10th, there's rumors about Justin Falk out there uh, that he might be on his way to Anaheim. Right shot defenseman if he gets traded. Maybe that causes another team to kind of think they have to get Risto now because Falk's off the market and there was two guys, now there's one, I better get the one that's left. Maybe that could accelerate the Risto line and trade, but... We're still in a standstill in the league, and I don't know if that's holding up the trade, but camp is Thursday. He's coming. He's in town probably by now. Tomorrow, I think he's supposed to meet with teammates, or they're supposed to have uh, like introductions and such. So it's it's happening. He's going to be a Sabre if nothing happens here, and I'm not sure that it's going to. What does the team look like if Ristolainen is on it? They have a lot of defensemen, and they have a lot of right-shot defensemen. I want Henry Yokiharu on this team to start the to start camp. To start the season. Opening night, I want Yokiharu on this team. I think Sabre fans should want Yokiharu on this team. From the guys we had on from Chicago in the offseason right after he was traded for Alex Nylander, sounded like 
his time in the NHL went pretty well. And the style of defenseman he is is what the Sabres are trying to reshape their team into. Puck-moving defenseman. Colin Miller is that. Montour is that. Darlene is that. Pilot is that. Yoki Haru is that. But if Ristolainen is here, this is kind of actually, I'll compare this to why I wanted McCoy gone. In a way. Again, I didn't need McCoy gone, but I wanted him gone. Because you've got a young, promising prospect player in Devin Singletary coming up. And he might be good, he might not. You have other guys at the position. You have, Now you have too many. You have a surplus. And if you have a surplus, that's going to make it harder for the rookie to be able to come in and earn his spot if he's really good. It's going to make it harder on him. You clear out McCoy... Boom, there's seven, eight touches for Singletary. He looks great. All right, full speed ahead. Now we have the opportunity to make him the starting running back. Yoki Haru, kind of a similar situation. With Ristolainen here, unless you're going to have one or two guys playing on their offside, which I guess could happen with Pilot injured, plus Bogosian. Don't forget Bogosian's still here. You might have Ristolainen play on the left. You might have someone else play on the left and figure play with four righties. But it's going to be tough, I think, for Yoki Haru to get the minutes if he's really good, if Ristolainen is still here. So again, I don't need Ristolainen traded because I think he would be really good in a second pair role or a third pair role on a full-time basis, never having to play in the top pair, never having to play in the top power play, never having to play in the top penalty kill. I think he would thrive in an environment like that. Thrive. But does he fit? Does he fit anymore? And I don't think he does. I think you are so good on that side in comparison to like what what is this what are the Sabres best at right now? Their goaltending situation is average at best. They're they got Jack Eichel, but behind him, they're not that good at center. In fact, they're bad at center behind Eichel. Eichel makes them, I think, average at center just because he's how good he is. Winger, you know, you're pretty good. Winger's probably the best position you have, left and right. But you got some holes there. You still got some questions in your bottom six on the wing. Your best position might be right shot defenseman. Montour is good. Colin Miller is good. I think Ristolainen is a certain amount of good. But I also think Yoki Haru is good. And I don't need four of them. I don't need four that are good. I, I hardly need three. But I have four. And if I'm keeping three, it's very obvious which three they're keeping. They just traded for Montour. They just traded for Miller. They just traded for Yoki Haru. I bet you Botcher wants to trade Ristolainen by opening day, but I'm not sure he's going to be able to. Because he learned his lesson. This is a good thing. Even though he might want to trade Ristolainen, and even though it might make sense to trade Ristolainen by opening day, don't rush it. Don't trade him if you don't think you're getting the value back. Because that's what happened with Ryan O'Reilly. You wanted to trade him, and you traded him. Value be damned. And you got almost nothing back at this point. And if he wants to sit on Ristolainen because he thinks that guy should net me a second-line center, then I I would give uh, Botcher a lot of credit from learning from a past mistake of the O'Reilly trade and using that logic... To not trade Ristolainen just yet. And hope that somewhere around the bend, 
a team's going to come calling, a team's going to have a need, they're going to give you what you want, and you're going to be really glad that you waited. Even if he starts the season with the team. He's not going to kill him if he's with the team. He's good. He's not great by any means. But for me, to think that Ristolainen on a second or third pair wouldn't be a good player in that role... Is Jake McCabe a good player? Because I think a lot of us would call Jake McCabe a good player. You want to know why Jake McCabe's analytics aren't in the tank? It's because he's never had to play the role Ristolainen has had to play. And I think if you played Risto like you play McCabe, then I think you're going to get very similar results. And no, I should have to pay $5.4 million to that, but it's not the worst contract in the world. He's not useless. So there should be no rush to me for the Sabres, but that doesn't mean that a trade doesn't make sense because it absolutely does as the team stands. So I think their blue line will look crowded, but I think we'll be really good to start the year. They'll be deep. Montour, like there's a lot of guys there. And I, I like about half of them. So if those are the half that are playing, then I'm pretty optimistic about the Sabres uh, on the blue line. 8030550 is the phone number. Switch back to football before we get out of here. There is a. Surprise, surprise, right? There is a new story out from the past few minutes on Antonio Brown. This one more serious than any that have transpired this offseason. More than him demanding a trade. More than him freezing his feet. More than him, you know, fight. Honestly, more serious than him threatening to punch his general manager in the face. I'll tell you what the New York Times is reporting on Antonio Brown when we come back. It's the Nightcap with Jody Biasi here on WGR. All right, welcome back to the Nightcap. Joe DiBiase here on WGR. Got a short segment, only got about a minute left here. NASCAR fans, stay tuned because NASCAR Live is on the way next. You know, Antonio, I've made fun of it. Like, Antonio Brown's been in the news almost every single day of the NFL offseason, right? And even in the past couple weeks, that has continued. Um, You know, of all the stuff that's come out, how much of it has been, like, really serious? You know, in terms of sports, it's been serious. But in terms of life, like, it hasn't been, like, super serious. Like, there hasn't been any, like, criminal stuff off the field or anything like that. But now we have that. Um, whether we whether it's true or not, the New York Times is has, you know, posted a story in the past, uh, in the past hour. Antonio Brown has, uh, there's been a lawsuit filed against Antonio Brown. He's been accused of raping his former trainer. And there's some pretty graphic details of sexual assault in the story. Um, If you're interested in that, uh, that was just reported by the New York Times. Uh, You could find that. It was retweeted at WGR550.com if you're looking for the details on that. But they're pretty graphic. And, you know, maybe this thing is not over with Antonio Brown and whether he's going to play football again. Because if any part of what is in this story is true, uh, if you go and read it and any part of it is true, then that that man should never, not only never play football again, but that man should be in prison. I mean, it's pretty pretty straightforward. If that stuff is true, that's what needs to happen. And that guy's never playing football again, if that's true. All right. Uh, I hate to end the show on a, a negative note like that, but you got to bring light to stuff like that. Because if it's true, 
then it should be out there. Uh, this has been the Nightcap with Jody Biasi. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Catch the whole show on demand at WGR550.com and the radio.com app. We have been having a couple of issues with the app, uh, so stay patient with us. We're trying to uh, we're get that updated uh, on the on-demand section. If you're looking to still listen on your phone, you can do that. It's a little bit of a pain, but you go to the Internet browser on your phone. Go to WGR550.com. You can still get all our good stuff from the day uh, there. NASCAR fans, as I said, stay tuned. NASCAR Live on the way next here on WGR.